um, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Um, and we'll, we'll look at those today. Um, but first, I'd like to just recap a little bit of uh, the introduction on this book. Um, Bob used the phrase that's often a, considered a closed book. Um, and I know, to me, I know for sure, it can seem overwhelming or kind of confusing to dive into. Um, Dennis E. Johnson, author of Triumph of the Lamb, suggests, what is at stake in this in-between time prior to Jesus' second coming is people's loyalty. History goes on in order to test this loyalty. History continues so that evil can run its course and finally, in the end, be totally destroyed through self-destruction. God is in control of history, and God is working things out in God's own way. And the summary of this test of loyalty um, is recorded in Revelation, um, especially in the analysis and letters, instructions to the churches. In fact, I would say that loyalty and faithfulness to Christ are some of the main points that we see in these letters. Um, Johnson continues on this point, writing that our main concern should be upholding fast and not joining with that evil, remaining strong of heart even when persecuted. The stark and explosive imagery um, appears more for its dramatic effect in Revelation than for predicting what will happen. So our faithfulness may help to bring about the kingdom as part of the leavening process. I appreciated Bob's introduction um, when he shared that the focus of Revelation, the book of Revelation, is Jesus Christ and his reigning glory. Um, I also used Nelson Crable's book, um, Apocalypse and Allegiance, in, in studying for Revelation and the letters. And Crable writes, The central strategy in Revelation for strengthening the church in Asia Minor, and I would suggest for us today as well, is for believers to draw close to Christ in worship. Jesus is present among the churches to transform them with the love of God. And we can see Jesus' um, presence is evident in John's vision in chapter 1 when he, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Um, in this vision, there's this son of man, uh, Jesus, in, depicted in great detail. And he introduces himself as the first and last, the one who died but is now alive forever and ever. This vision also introduces the seven churches, uh, which Jesus clarifies to John are the gold lampstands, and the angels of the churches are the seven stars. And then this brings us to uh, the four letters in chapter 2 that we'll be looking at today. And I think of, of all the chapters in, in Revelation, this, this one would probably be the easiest to understand or maybe apply to our context because we can be reading these letters as if they were written to us, um, written encouragements and warnings to us as well. Uh, these letters follow a, a similar structure, and so we'll notice that each letter is addressed to a particular congregation or to an angel of the congregation. And next there is an introduction or reminder of, of who Jesus is that often is kind of a flashback from chapter 1. And this also serves as, as telling us, reminding us that these letters are from Jesus, um, even though John is recording them. After the introduction, 
um, in the letter, there's a specific statement from Jesus uh, regarding the condition of the church, kind of recognizing what's going right, um, and then, and so this is often an exhortation or kind of encouraging them. And we see then uh, a following that, usually a complaint uh, with a challenge or a command from Jesus. And then finally, to conclude, there's a promise of reward in each letter. So jumping right into the first letter, which is to Ephesus, um, we'll start in Revelation 2.1. Uh, that will be on the screen for you to follow along with, or you can turn in your Bibles. Revelation 2.1. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So here we, we do see that the, church, the letter is not addressed um, just to the church, but specifically to the angel in the church of Ephesus. Um, commentators would suggest that this angel could be a pastor or an angelic uh, being that's kind of overseeing the church. And then Jesus identifies himself, um, as in chapter 1, as the one who holds the seven stars and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. He says this um, in verse 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Um, Ephesus was a a world-famous city um, in the ancient world where Paul and Timothy, um, Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla all ministered. Um, But it was also um, very large in the type of worship that worshiped gods and goddesses and even uh, living emperors. It was very common. Um, in Ephesus, there was one of the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world. It was a, a temple devoted to Diana, a fertility goddess that stood 60 feet tall and had over 100 pillars. So even though there were many great ministers there, there was also um, a lot of other type of worship. According to Nelson Crabill, tensions were also high between some Christians and Jews And some false teachers among the churches were advocating syncretism or urging believers to participate in this pagan society. For these and other reasons, John believed persecution was imminent. And this explains why many of the letters um, refer to false teaching or suffering of some kind. So Jesus recognizes that those in the church of Ephesus have worked hard and they've exhibited patient endurance He knows and acknowledges that the church is doing right in the midst of um, all these other worshipers. However, the letter continues with this complaint um, in verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place and among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans as I do. So Jesus is bringing to the church's attention that things are not as they used to be. They have fallen far from how they first loved God and each other. 
The command for Ephesus is to return to their first love. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, writes from the perspective of a senior tempter or demon uh, coaching an apprentice. So it's kind of a, a backwards way to read than what we're normally used to. Um, so I'm going to read a quote of his. So when he refers to the enemy, he's actually referring to God. Um, and Lewis talks about this falling from our first love or an initial excitement as believers. He writes to, this is a tempter writing to another, an apprentice tempter. Work then, work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first weeks as a churchman. The enemy, God, allows this disappointment to occur in the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when lovers get married and begin the real task of really learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition of dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. The enemy takes this risk because he has a curious fantasy of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls his free lovers and servants. Sons is the word he uses. So God is calling the church of Ephesus and us back to himself, back to himself to make us free lovers and servants. He's calling us to live as sons and daughters of his. Commentator David Guzik wonders what these first works might have been um, that is in the letter, might have been referring to in verse 5. He suggests this perspective. Remember how you used to spend time in, in the word? Remember how you used to pray? Remember your initial joy in getting together with other Christians? Remember how excited you were about telling others about Jesus? So how may you have wandered from your first love? And what needs to happen for you to return? We'll continue on um, into verse 7, which concludes the, this letter with the, a promise. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And the next letter begins immediately in the following verse, uh, verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Smyrna, uh, like Ephesus, was a well-known city for its wealth um, and commercial greatness. So the surrounding culture of Smyrna was very rich. But the Christians, um, whether because of their nonconformity or uh, opposition to emperor worship, they lived in, in poverty in Smyrna. And Jesus recognized this, but he also reminded them that they were spiritually rich. 
In fact, he did not even have a complaint to mention to them. He only encourages them, do not be afraid. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Dennis Johnson reflects on Revelation's relevance for us today, specifically on the reality of suffering. For those who would follow Jesus, suffering is likely. To suffer because of faithfulness is to be part of God's work in bringing the kingdom. Revelation also seems to imply that arbitrary kinds of suffering are not really arbitrary. Satan is at work in the world trying his best to mar God's creation and to turn people against God. All suffering is therefore a test. Will we turn to God as our only Lord, or will we follow the advice of Job's wife and curse God and die? In our culture and context, uh, we do not experience the persecution or suffering that much of the world does. But what might God be asking you to be courageous in? in your life, to be faithful in, even if it means suffering. Whatever the case, we can take heart in knowing Jesus has already won the battle, and we are victorious because of he who has overcome. Um, Continuing on in the text, the next letter begins in verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful, ser- my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name, that no one understands except the one who receives it. Pergamum or Pergamos, um, along with being noted, being a noted center for culture and education, was especially known again for its temples of worship to several Greek and Roman gods. Um, people would flock to Pergamum, especially for healing, uh, relief from the god of healing. Um, and it was this, this god was represented by a serpent, which we, will, we still see in medical symbols today. Um, interestingly, with Satan often being portrayed as a serpent, Jesus calls Pergamum the city where Satan has his throne. Jesus acknowledges this reality of the culture um, for the Christians in Pergamum and commends them for their loyalty, for um, remaining, remaining loyal to him in the face of all this and even in the face of Antipas' martyrdom. Um, Apparently there's not much known about Antipas, and yet Jesus noticed his faithfulness um, and his witness and calls the church of Pergamum to the same faithfulness. And I would suggest the same call is for us as well. But despite their loyalty, Jesus does address certain false teaching, like that of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. 
This is not the, the first mention of them. It was also mentioned uh, prior in a, a previous letter. Um, this, this name has the idea of a proud authority um, and the root word literally meaning to conquer the people. In his letter to Ephesus, Jesus exhorts the church for hating the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. Um, both Balaam and Nic the Nicolaitans were corrupt and immoral teachers. Um, Guzik states that Balaam combined the sins of immorality and idolatry to praise Balak, the king of Moab, because he could not curse Israel directly. So instead, he puts this stumbling block um, before before them um, connected with idolatry and the eating of foods that were sacrificed to idols. So although we may not worship other deities, uh, we still have stumbling blocks that can easily persuade our attention and faithfulness away from Christ. Um, Dennis Johnson applies this principle uh, broadly and, and just suggests that we... We be faithful in the little things. He says we follow the lamb wherever he goes. And that we can show this faithfulness and avoid the stumbling blocks by following the lamb wherever he goes in the little things, the day-by-day -day decisions that we make. So to Pergamum, Jesus commands, remain loyal and repent of your sin. Likewise, I want to challenge us to follow the lamb wherever he goes even in the little things, seeking God's direction and security rather than looking elsewhere when there are so many other places that we could look. Now we come to the final letter in chapter 2, um, verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like the flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, and your service, your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immoral from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the, chil then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira, who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. We can see some similarities in this letter um, and the previous to Pergamum. 
Jesus compliments the church in Thyatira for their love, their faith, their service, and patient endurance. However, they too are permitting a false prophet to lead them astray. In this case, it is a woman Jesus calls Jezebel, and this probably was not her her real name, but rather a reference to the prophetess in the Old Testament. Um, Guzik explains the name Jezebel had a powerful association. If we called someone a Judas or a Hitler, it would mean something strong. It's also a strong thing to call this woman Jezebel. And Jesus intends to deal with her strongly, as described in verses 21 through 23. It's important to note, though, the mercy that Jesus offers. First, when he says, um, she, I gave her time to repent, but she did not want to turn away from her immorality. So we see Father God's righteous protection and perfect justice in dealing with someone who has led his children astray and caused them to stumble. We also see another message to those who have not, um, to those who have not followed the false teaching. More mercy instead of condemnation, condemnation of the whole society. He is a merciful God. After all, just as Jesus says about himself, he is the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. To Thyatira, Jesus commands, do not compromise to false teaching and hold tightly to what you have. Meaning, hold tightly to Jesus, the truth and the way. When we hold tightly and obey to the very end, Jesus promises the same authority to us as he received from Father God. And may we continue to process, um, as we're being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, how, these li- how these letters can impact our lives today. Um, and I'll invite the worship team for a closing song at this time. <clears throat>